Live loved. I do love you, hon, even though I didn't wake up. That way I had the strength to be here for today. But how many love love? You know, it's so funny. Poets write about it. There's been so many songs written. I actually Googled to try to find out how many love songs are there, how many. And it, I couldn't find it because I, there's just so many from so many genres. I, you know, there's rap songs about love. There's, I kind of, I'm kind of partial to the country western love songs. They spin a pretty good love song. But there's so many love songs and so many ways that people wax eloquent about love. How many have heard this phrase? How do I love you? Let me count the ways. Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And there's poems, and there's songs, and there's movies. Stephen is a really good husband, and we watch sappy uh, love stories together. And Sometimes we cry, sometimes we laugh. But, you know, I think our American culture, and I think people in general, we're kind of in love with love. But it's difficult in the United States and in our English language because we have one word for love. So we love our dog. Well, I don't, but um, we love... You know, we love pizza, we love pasta, I love pasta, we love, you know, we love our husbands, we love our cars, we love, 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 and yet we, we know kind of intuitively that we should love our husband differently than we love our car or our dog, but we don't have another word for it. And we're going to be looking today because in the, in the Bible, the Greeks, they actually did a much better job on this, and they had some different definitions of the different kinds of love that we're going to be looking into. Um, what's your definition of love? You know, if I was to ask you, if I was to bring this mic around and kind of hold it around, it would be interesting to hear what you would say, how you would define it. And one of the things about love, you know, love is important in many ways, but one of the most important areas of love is God's love for us. And a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Steve read the passage from 1 John 4.16, and we're going to read it together. And it says this, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. I'm going to read that line again. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. That's a powerful verse. And you know, since he spoke that a couple of weeks ago, I've just been meditating on that. And just asking myself that question, do I know and believe the love, the incredible love that God has for me? And beyond that, do I actually know what that love is? Do I know what it looks like? Do I know how to describe it, because what I believe is that if I am going to live out a life of love toward God, toward the people around me, toward my society, toward my family, I have to know that I'm loved. And we're going to look at that a little more and kind of understand why that's so important. The Greeks, as I said, have four kinds of love. And I, I was thinking about this because we all, I think we all crave love. Even from the moment we were born, we were, they actually talk about babies that if they're not touched and they're not given love, they actually wither. They actually have a certain ailment that happens for kids. I think it's called failure to thrive just because they've never experienced love and they haven't experienced just that, the beauty of having someone care for them. It's something that we actually were born with a need for. We really, we really need to be loved. We need to be cared for. And yet in our society, so many people live without love. Would you say that's true? Or they live with love that isn't God's love and isn't in the right way. Webster's defines love kind of interestingly as both a noun and a verb. How many love grammar? Three of us. That's awesome. 
Um, I love grammar. I love parts of speech. I like knowing, you know, what a noun, a verb, an adverb, an adjective. I used to love, I didn't like diagramming, but I loved going through my sentences and underlining. And this is, some of you didn't like that. Sorry, but I did. I still do. And a noun, if you know, who remembers what it is? It's a person place or thing. So love is a noun. It's something. It has substance. It's, it's awesome. And we're going to look at more what it is. But it's also a verb. And what's a verb? Action. Hey, you guys did learn something in your grammar classes. It's an action word. It has action. And for love to exist, it's more than just something that's a substance. It's something that has to actually be done and put in, put in play. I want to read real quick from 1 Corinthians 13. If they can pop it up there, I added it later for them. But 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 6, gives God's beautiful definition of love. And I want to give this first before we jump into the others. Love is patient and it's kind. This morning, I was already failing at that. I knew I had to speak this message, and um, I don't know if George is in here. Our lovely son, George, was moving at the—I think he's becoming like his father, and he's moving was moving at the pace of a snail, and we were getting late, and I was getting impatient, and I was thinking, I have to speak about love, and the first verse says, love is patient, so I better not get impatient right now, and so I zipped my lip and tried to grip my, you know, kind of bite my tongue. Anybody ever had to do that? Love is patient, and it's kind. It isn't jealous or boastful or proud. It's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable, ouch, (laughs) and it keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. That's beautiful. That's a wonderful definition of love. And how many know that kind of love, we're going to find out that's not possible for us to produce from our own selves. That's God's love. That's God's kind of love. And we're going to learn how to interact with that. I'm really excited for this series. I know that Pastor Steve is going to go deeper into God's love and those dimensions and how we obtain it and why we need it so much. And one of the reasons is, as he was praying for our church, you know, one of the things that describes our church, we did a series a few months ago called about indestructible joy. How many know what the name of our church is? Joy. And we are joyful, and I really believe that that's an essence of our church. But another fruit of the Spirit that we've been known by, and I believe, and as Pastor C has been praying, really believes that God wants to just fan the flame in, is that love that we are loving. You know, we were in a parade. Some of you were in the Pear Blossom Parade with us marching. And a, a couple of years ago, we did it as well. And one of the people that wrote and thanked us for being in the parade some of you have heard us describe that, said that when our church went by, it felt like a wave of love touched the city. And that's what we were praying. We were saying, God, as we sing the songs and we dance and we laugh and we hold the balloons and we show our signs, we want our city to know that God loves them. You know, that scripture that I opened with, that we would know and believe the love that God has for us. You know, it's not enough to have it in our head. It's not enough just to read about it. That love is something that needs to penetrate into the crevices of who we are where we just know and we believe the love God has for us, why is that important? Well, it's important for us, but it's also important for the love that we're going to show to others. And as we jump in here to the four kinds of love that the Greeks talked about, I I, I was thinking about this, that none of those loves work well without the love of God. Look at these four things. Eros speaks of romantic love. Phileia speaks of friendship love, storge speaks of family love, and then agape is God's love. The first three are in our society in, 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 quite, in quite many different ways, but none of them work well 
if they're not fueled by God's love. Romantic love, you know, people are looking for love, people find romantic love. So many people want to find that, that soulmate and that person that loves them and will walk through life and be that partner, and they want to have beautiful romantic love. But if it's not fueled by God's love, ah, it goes, it goes awry very quickly. Or we wouldn't see the level of divorce, we wouldn't see the, the promiscuity, we wouldn't see the pain in our society because of romantic love that has, been, that has been shown without God's love. What about friendship love? You know, it's wonderful to have good friends, but when our love, when our friendship is not fueled by God's kind of love, patience and, 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 and long suffering and loyalty are qualities that just don't stick in that, and so we find pain. What about family love? Our society is so broken in the area of family, and yet God intended that that would be one of the primary places that his love would be shown. In fact, when he asked people to get married, husbands and wives to get married and to have offspring, the family was literally to be the picture of his love for us, the picture of how everything was to work, and yet without his love flowing in that kind of love, we see brokenness and we don't see that beautiful. How, how many have seen that? And so God wants us not only to understand the different kinds of love, but then to have that interaction, that knowledge, that belief in his love till it permeates who we are and we know and believe that we are loved so that in our romantic love, in our friendship love, in our family love, it's the agape love of God that's flowing through us. It's the agape love of God that's fueling that love. And that's what we want for Joy Church, amen? That's what we want for Medford. Can you imagine what would happen in the cities of our nation? And let's talk about just our city, Medford, if, if what ha was in the New Testament church happened to us. I told the early service that in the, the early church, when they, you know, Jesus started the church, we had the church, the disciples came, 3,000 got saved, and it began to grow, but it was still a rather fledgling group of people. But literally within 300 years, Christianity actually became the, na the national or the, the, the religion for the whole Roman Empire. And when I read through history, one of the main reasons that Christianity spread so fast was because of their love. Literally, when you read about it, things like hospitals didn't exist until Christians opened them. Nursing was something that came because of the heart of love and compassion. Babies would be, were being put out. If a baby girl was born or a baby was sick, they'd just be put out to die. And it was Christians that would go and take those babies or fish them out of rivers and save them. When plagues came and people were, would, would want to stay away from sick people, it was the Christians that would go and nurse them to health at the, at, the, at the peril of their own life. And their love and their love for one another and their love for the slave class, their love across the board was known by secular people and it drew people to Jesus. What would happen in our society if our romantic love, our friendship love, our family love was fueled by the agape love of God. And we started watching marriages be healed. We started watching people that had been broken in the area of, 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 of relationships be restored and learn how to have a great marriage, a great life. What if our friendships were, were bound by loyalty and we had that beauty and our families were healed again? Well, let me tell you, that's not just a dream. That's the reality that God has given us the ability when we know and believe his love to walk in. So let's take a minute and jump through really quick and look at each, what each of these four loves means. Eros, as you can probably imagine, came from the Greek mythological god of love called Eros. It was, he was the god of love, sexual desire, physical attraction, and physical love. 
this actually, this actual Greek word eros, um, they say doesn't actually appear in the New Testament, but the implications of it and, and that the signs of it are all through, all through the New Testament. Interestingly enough, much of the mention of it by, by the Apostle Paul was to talk about how it was being, it was being used in the wrong way. Promiscuity, people having sex out of marriage, all kinds of just sinful practices in the area of sexual love and in the area of romantic love, and he was trying to tell them there's a different way. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it says, let marriage be held in honor among all. Marriage wasn't held in honor in that day, and yet he's giving them a, a more excellent way. And then the next line, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So the Apostle Paul, or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, could have been him or Apollos, but they were stating how God intended for romantic love to be expressed, and that's in through marriage, and that's what we believe, and that's where the agape love of God can flow, and godly offspring come, peace, beauty happens when a, in a godly marriage, when eros is functioning in the way that God intended for it to. Let's jump to Philea. Uh, many of us here, uh, phile, uh, phileos, I might be pronouncing this phileo, which is the verb, uh, I believe the verb of that. Hopefully my son Johnny is studying Greek, so he'll tell me later if I'm butchering the, butchering the words. But phileo is the type of intimate love that the Bible, that most Christians practice toward each other. And it describes a powerful emotional bond seen in deep friendships. Uh, this type of love encompassed love for fellow humans. It showed care, respect compassion for people in need. And it's interesting because it's that thing that unites and unifies brethren in Christ. Look at John 13, 35. I love this verse. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's what we were talking about, that beautiful love. And it's interesting, um, I think I have time to tell this story. Many of you have heard the story of Peter in the Bible and how he uh, loved Jesus, but he always had a big mouth. And remember that when Jesus was going to go to be, uh, to be betrayed and crucified, that Peter was like, I will never betray you. And what did Jesus tell him? Peter, I'm going to pray for you because Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. And basically, before you hear the cockle-doodle-doo of the rooster, you're going to have betrayed me three times. And how many know Peter was like, sure, no, but you think you know that, Jesus, but I know myself. What happened? Jesus is arrested, goes through the process. Peter's there. He's kind of warming himself by the fire. And before the cock-a-doodle-doo happened, he had denied Jesus three times only to look up and guess whose eyes he had to look into. Jesus coming out of the trial. He sees Peter. I mean, just only imagine how you would feel. The betrayal that you would know. Oh, I just, ah, oh, I just betrayed this one who has loved me more than I can ever imagine. And it said he went out and he wept. Bitterly. Now let's fast forward to him. He, he finds that Jesus has risen. He was one of the first to go to the tomb. Later on, he he's went to go fishing. And all of a sudden, he looks and he sees that Jesus is over on the shore. And he's cooking some fish for them. And he's getting ready to have a barbecue. And Peter leaps out of the boat and swim, swims over to Jesus. And Jesus begins to have this conversation with Peter. And you've heard Pastor Steve reference this, that Jesus asked Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? And he used the Greek word agapeo. Do you love me with a divine love? That kind of love that wouldn't betray me. Do you love me like that? Peter looked at him and said, you know that I phileo you. I have a friendly fondness for you, but I don't have your kind of love. 
Jesus told him, feed my sheep. He asked him the question again, do you agape me? Do you love me with the kind of love that I love you with? No, Jesus, you know I don't. I flail you. I have a brotherly affection for you. It's what I can produce. But the kind of love you have for me, I can't produce that. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. The third time, Jesus changed the word. And he said, Peter, do you flail me? He said, yes. And he told him again, feed my sheep. Jesus acknowledged to Peter that the only love he was capable of producing was at some level a brotherly fondness, an ability to do the best he could in his own strength, but he couldn't do what he needed to do without the agape love of God. Fast forward about not quite 40 days to Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them and Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know what happened? He received the Holy Spirit and he received that ability to have that love of God. See, the fruit of the Spirit, love, agape love, is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit produces in us. Peter received that. He was a changed man. And I want to tell you, you and I have been given, when we receive Christ, we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We have dropped in us the seed of God's kind of love to be able to love like God loves, to be able to care like God cares, and to be able to feed and take care of the people that God has put in our life. But it takes humility, like Peter, to be able to acknowledge and say, apart from you, Jesus, I can't love like you love. I can't give like you give. And I believe that as a church, as a people, as we humble ourselves before God and we say, God, would you clothe me with your love? Would you love through me? Would you let your Holy Spirit do through me what, what be, literally be Jesus on this earth? God will move and we will watch powerful things happen. It's interesting that the next word, store, storge, which is a family love, is also not seen in the New Testament, except in a negative way when it's used in its opposite, which is astorge, which actually means heartless or without family love. They actually, when you read the scriptures, that's one of the signs of the last days, is that people are going to be without the ability to love with a family love, astorge, apart, heartless. And it's only through the Holy Spirit that that can be restored. There's also a compound word, hopefully this isn't getting you lost, that combines phileo and storge, and I'm not pronouncing it right, but it's phileo storge, it's from Romans, it's in the chapter 12, I believe, verse 14, where it tells us to love with a brotherly love. When the Christians, as we begin to love each other, it goes from just kind of a friendship, brotherly love, to literally a combination of that love intertwined with family. We become the family of God. And that's why when people can come, they can come from very broken. Maybe you come from a very broken family. Maybe your family line didn't have a lot of love and a lot of, 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 of just that health. When you come into God's family, this is a place where you begin to be loved as a brother, as a sister, as a daughter, as a son. And where you can give that same kind of love to others. The body of Christ should embody, as I said, all three, eros, phileo, and the storge love, love. It should embody it in a way that is healthy and beautiful and allows people to build stable, strong lives. See, it's more than just that I get saved and now, man, God saves me. I'm not going to, I'm going to go to heaven. It literally begins to infect 
and affect every area of our life so that we can love our children, so that we can love our spouses, so we can love our, our siblings, so we can love the people around us with a God kind of love. And now, in our last minutes, let's look at what agape love is. To find a definition, and I read you the definition from 1 Corinthians 13, it's really difficult to define God's love because it's so amazing. It's incredible. I think I put one, if you guys can put this, the short definition that we had up there, that it's sacrificial. Do you guys have that slide? It's selfless, it's sacrificial, unconditional. It's the highest of the four types of love in the Bible. And yet that barely describes it. Again, the Apostle Paul, I believe it was in Ephesians 3, he gives a prayer and he says, for this reason I get on my knees and I cry out to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ upon whom all the families in heaven and earth are named. He gets down and he prays and one of the things he prayed was that we would know the width, the depth, the breadth, the height of God's love that we would understand that. And I was sharing with the first service, I was raised as a Christian and I knew that God loved me here. But for some reason I had this sense that I still had to earn that love. That I had to be, that I had to do things well. And when I would sin or I would do something wrong, I mean, I would just beat myself. And it wasn't because my parents did that. It wasn't any of those things. It was just inside of me. I didn't feel that sense of worth. And I remember I got married and Steve said, there's kind of, you don't, you don't get how much God loves you. You don't understand it. You're like, you're like way hard on yourself about things. And so I began to go to God and I realized I needed to reprogram my mind, my soul. I needed to reprogram it with the word of God. Where God literally, and read, and I, I, I would just get up in the morning and I had to speak, God, you love me. You love me not because I'm worthy. You love me because I'm your daughter. I'm chosen. And I just would, re until what happened? It took a while. I would say it probably even took a few months, maybe in a few years. But all of a sudden, I can tell you today, I know and I believe that God loves me. I still feel, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, a Pollyanna kind of person, and I still, even though I'm 59 years old, hard to believe, I know, shocking, hair dye, yeah, it works. Um, I still feel many times like that little girl, four, five, seven, running in a meadow, just embraced by the love of God. You know, when I was a little girl, I, and my mom can attest as I would sing, I, mean, I, just, I just felt so, so loved and so embraced. And somewhere life, you know, life happens. And for some of you, road rash happens. And somewhere along the line, maybe you never had it or maybe you lost it. You lost that childlike faith. That sense that just, where you wake up in the morning and you just know you're loved. You know, I look at Wesley, our little grandson. He doesn't, he knows he's the center of the universe. Now the world will have to change that, we'll have to, but he knows he's loved. And let me just tell you this, God's desire for every human being on this earth is that they know indescribable love. It breaks my heart that so many, maybe even sitting in this room, so many sitting in our city, they don't know they're loved. They don't have that sense of safety. We're like, ah, he loves me. You just, you know, I'm twirling because that's, little kids, they twirl, they blow dandelions, they do crazy things because they feel so safe. And I want to tell you, your father wants you to feel like that. He aims that kind of love at you. Let me read a quote 
from a man named Anders Nigren. I don't know who he is, but he had a great quote. And uh, Steve and I were reading this together, and we were just amazed. It says, agape love, God's love, is unmotivated in the sense that it's not contingent on any value or worth in the object of love. It is spontaneous and heedless, for it doesn't determine beforehand whether its love will be effective or appropriate in any particular case. He just loves. God just loves. He just loves. He just said, I choose to create man, and I'm going to love him. I'm going to love him passionately, not because he's so awesome, even though God created us and believes we're, he loves us. He's so worthy. He loves us. It's not determined on whether we're good or bad. He just loves us. And the next part blows me away. It mirrors John 3.16 that we heard. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him would not have eternal life. When God loves, he loves even not caring if a person is going to respond or not. The love is there. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God loves lavishly, and we sang about it. It's reckless. It's, a, it just, it's powerful. It's profound. It's abundant. It's beyond what our senses can even perceive. And that love is aimed at you. That love is aimed at me. And God's desire is that we would open our heart wide and say, come on in, love. Let God's love penetrate and heal and just do what only his love can do and say, us and heal us and, and bring us to that place where then what happens? We become dispensers of that love. We're in that pool. We're laughing. We're, you know, I, I gave the illustration. If you don't know God loves you, then you think you have this cup of God's love and there's barely enough for you. And you sort of have to hoard it because this, this love's got to do you for like 90 years. But if you know and believe the love God has for you, then you have an ocean of love, and there's no limit. And so you're going, come on, there's so much. You can have it. Come with me. Join me. Come into the abundant love of God. Can you imagine what will touch our city when we are not just holding our little cup and just, oh, it's going to spill out. No, we've got so much love, so much love. God's love, God's indescribable, amazing love that's aimed at us. And he didn't determine beforehand whether it would be effective or appropriate. Let me ask you a few questions as we close. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity. I believe there are some of you in this room that maybe you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Or maybe you did it when you were young, but you didn't. You haven't kind of followed through. Today is your best day because you have an opportunity to receive Jesus, to receive his love, to be saved, to be transformed, and to get to join this party of being his answer to society. And we're going to give you that opportunity in just a minute. But I want to ask you these questions. Do you personally know that God's love has been given and targeted to you. Maybe some of you, 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 were, you were with me when I shared that testimony of mine, and you sometimes struggle to believe that you're loved or that there's enough love to go around. God wants to just change that for you today and in the, the time to come. Do you recognize that God's love far exceeds your worthiness? Do you, do you know that? 
His love is amazing. Do you understand that God, and this, this blows me away, God will love you even if you reject his love. When people stand before God at the day of judgment and whether they've received him as savior or not, God will know that there was so much love, so much grace, so much mercy. His blood was shed for every person. Literally, knowing about God, I think God's Italian, and when I cook, there's always more than enough. I freak out if I think there's not gonna be enough food. True story. And so I always make extra. I think God's Italian. I think that there, he's, he's and I know he is, and that he's wasteful and reckless with his love. There's more than enough. Do you know that there's enough love and that his love is aimed even at those that will not ever receive it? There'll be so much love. And do we realize the consequence of not receiving the love of God? That first consequence is there when you, if you never receive Jesus Christ as your savior, then you're never receiving his love. You're never receiving the salvation that he freely offered. And that consequence is quite severe. That consequence is spending eternity in hell instead of spending eternity in heaven with Jesus. That's a strong consequence. Can I tell you, as believers, there's another consequence. If you and I never understand the fullness of his love for us, then we're forever living with a teacup when there's a whole ocean for us to enjoy. And can I tell you the sad consequence of that? It will affect <clears throat> your romantic love, it will affect your friendship love, and it will affect your family love. I want a great marriage. I want great friendships. I want a great family. And I know, like Peter, I don't have agape love on my own, but as I connect to the God who is love, and I, and I know and believe his love, I have an endless supply to pour into those areas. And that's a consequence that I don't want to face because I didn't receive his love. Last, do you understand that the perishing of the, of the unbeliever stated in John 3.16 goes against the intended outcome of God's love? God doesn't want one person to perish. He doesn't want one person to leave this earth without salvation, without his love. Could we stand together? I feel God's presence here. You know, when you preach about God's love, I can just, I, I'm imagining, I'm imagining the angels in heaven and even God himself going, oh, come on, get it, get it. I love you. I'm so angry at the devil. I'm so angry at the world that paints God in this picture of someone who, who's just kind of either distant or doesn't get involved. God is so right there in our life. You know, when I held, and Pastor Steve and I, when we held each of our children, we love them. I know at night, I, sometimes I would want to just squish them so they would know how much I love them. I think most moms know that. And dads, maybe you didn't have a parent that wanted to squish you. Well, let me tell you, you've got a God that wants to embrace you with his love. A love that's so powerful. A love more than you could ever imagine. And today, like I said, is your best day. Because if you have not received Jesus as your savior, if you have never known that love, today is the day that you can reach out to him and say, yes, Jesus, I want salvation. Can we close our eyes right now, everyone in this room? 
And I want to give you an opportunity. We're not trying to embarrass you, but let me tell you this. I know and believe this love that God has for you, and He wants you. He wants you in His family. He wants you as His child. He wants you to know His love. He doesn't want anything. He doesn't want your sin to separate you from Him. And He made a way. He sent His Son for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever and that whoever is you and I in this room that believes in him will not perish. All it takes is to raise that hand and say, I believe, I want you, Jesus. If that's you today, would you raise your hand? Jesus wants you. He wants you. He loves you. I believe there's some of you in this room, you don't know Jesus yet. You haven't received him, and he wants you. You might feel your heart kind of pounding in your chest. You feel that, oh, I'm embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. This is the best day of your life. Is there anyone in this room that needs to receive Jesus as your Savior today? Looking around. Any hands? Come on, I believe you're here. I believe you're here. I'm gonna wait a minute. God's calling. He loves you. He wants you. He wants you. Anybody here? Maybe you brought someone with you. I just feel an urgency. I really feel... There's at least one here that needs Jesus. Wait just a minute. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just pray. I pray, Lord, that any that are in this room that have not received you yet, God, you would just continue to draw them, God. Thank you. Thank you for your love that draws, Lord, that brings them into your family. They can go home tonight. They can cry out that prayer. They can come down here after service. God, you love them. For the rest of us in this room, would you raise your hands? Just like a cop, I just believe God wants to pour his love out. In a minute, the worship team is going to sing a song, and Allie's going to come up and take us through that part. But I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you that you will, this today and even in these next weeks, that God's going to give us as a church and you personally and me personally a fresh revelation of his love. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Lord, thank you that it's lavish. It's not a teacup. It's not just barely enough to get us through life. It's an ocean of love. It's an ocean of mercy. It's an ocean of compassion and forgiveness. Lord, your transforming love will transform our marriages, our families, our friendships, our workplaces, our city, our nation, God. Our nation is dying for want of your love. And God, they're looking for love in all the wrong places, all the places that are not real. Oh, Father, let us live and let us breathe and let us demonstrate the incredible love of God that is so real and so tangible and so transforming. God, I know that you transformed this formerly shy, formerly insecure girl into a confident daughter of God, and only your love could do that. And God, you want to do your work in every person. You have a call and a ministry and a, and a gift for each person. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us with your love. God, let this be a summer of love, not in a weird way, but in a God way. A summer of love where we are loved. We're bathed in love. We bathe one another in love. And Lord, we reach out and we just watch people from the north, the south, the east, and the west flock into this place for salvation, God, because you are worthy.